0: This marks the end of this two-chapter section describing the great actions and healings of Jesus that were, in a word, establishing his authority as the Messiah, as the one who had all authority. And Jesus has, in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, demonstrated authority over demons, over sickness, even over nature itself when he calmed the storm. So by the end of this gospel in chapter 28, when Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, that statement didn't just come out of the blue. He's been building on that premise ever since these early chapters. He is established that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of all creation. And by doing these miracles, he's proven he is not just having authority, but he's also the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he confirmed that through these miracles he's been doing over these last two chapters. And today we're going to attempt to wrap up this section as Jesus really introduces the next teaching section beginning in the next chapter. And I say attempt because... It's 11 verses on a communion Sunday. So wish me luck. Let's uh, let's begin taking this apart in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done for you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see to it that no one knows about it. And they went their way and spread his fame throughout all that district. So as we look at these blind men first, blindness was very prevalent in that area at this time in history. Uh, for various region, uh, reasons related to the area, there were certain diseases that were prevalent. The, the brightness of that area was part part of the factor. But why did, why do these men call Jesus the son of David? We haven't seen that title yet in this gospel. We've seen son of man, but not son of David. What's going on here? This was also a messianic title that the Jews would have immediately recognized as soon as uh, these men uttered that term. Because as you saw in our first reading, God made a special promise to David back in 2 Samuel 7 that the Messiah would come from David's family, he would be an offspring of David. And so. The Messiah would be not just the Son of Man that we read in Daniel chapter 7, uh, when we covered that a number of weeks ago when we first encountered that term, but he was also a son of David. So he has this more earthly title and a more heavenly title. He was both of them. The Son of Man, the Son of God was both of these. And so by, by calling Jesus the Son of David... They were recognizing Jesus for who he is, that he was the coming Messiah, the promised one of Israel. And the irony here is beautiful. The two blind men could see what the rest of the nation missed. How beautiful is that? And Jesus heals them, giving them the healing they requested according to their faith. Now, we've seen this term come up a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to get too heavy into this. But again, the special ingredient here that brought about the healing was Jesus. Not their great faith, but the fact that they had faith that motivated them to action. You know, note the context here. Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? And when they said yes, Jesus said, let it be according to your faith. In other words, let it be so. So the, they, the fact that they came to Jesus uh, and they asked him, that was their display of faith. You don't have nobody, you're, you're, what you actually believe is what, how you will live your life. The actions you will take will be motivated by what you really believe is true. And so Jesus here basically said, let it be so, and it was. But amazingly, their their great faith was not equal to their obedience. It says here, Jesus sternly warned them not to tell anyone. And they spread the word throughout the whole district. Everybody knew after this. Why would Jesus not want word of this to get out? It's not like he was hiding his other miracles. He's literally going from village to village, town to town, proclaiming this message and healing everyone he comes into contact with. Why tell these men, you know, see to it that nobody knows? Well, I think based off of the context, it's because these two men knew who Jesus was. They knew he wasn't just a faith healer. They knew he wasn't just someone healing people around. They knew this man was the Messiah, the son of David. And it wasn't yet time for that to be revealed to everyone. There was a special time Jesus wanted that for. And it wasn't quite yet time to reveal that. As with everything else, we must trust that God's timing is going to be different than our timing. My goodness, I've experienced that. (laughs) You know, when I I was sure as soon as I graduated college that I was ready to become a pastor. Oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) You know, God mercifully waited 10 years before I finally was called a pastor. And the Lord had mercy on you guys for that. I knew the scriptures well enough. I could teach, but but there were so many other areas in my life that just weren't ready. I needed to grow, I needed to mature in so many other areas of my life. And so that had to take place first. <laughs> had, uh, had I had my way in my timing, oh, it would have been a mess. It wasn't the right time. <sighs> I didn't even know what I was asking for. But But that being said, That might be you. That might correspond to a situation in your life right now. Now, so often we get discouraged when God doesn't immediately give us what we want or what we're praying for. Instead, and the encouragement is we just have to wait. We have to wait on God's timing for those things. He knows better than we do. But we need to remember he hasn't forgotten about us. We're just waiting. So keep praying about it. Keep seeking it. Keep asking God. Because God answers prayer in three ways. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no when we pray. And sometimes he says wait. Ooh, and that's the hard one. To wait. But it's good when he does. Because his timing is always better than ours. So what are you waiting on God for this week? This week? season, this year, whatever it is for you. It's one of the hardest lessons to learn, but we got to trust in God's timing and trust in that he hasn't forgotten about you and he hasn't forgotten about your situation. He knows. Keep patient. Keep it in prayer. Keep seeking him. It's worth it. I can speak from experience. But Jesus continues to display his authority with a final miracle in this section, with exercising a mute demon in verse 32, where he says, And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel." But the Pharisee said, oh, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. (laughs) This is an interesting section. Uh, Contemporary rabbis believed that you needed to know the name of the demon to be able to cast it out according to their traditions. You won't find anything like that in scripture, but it had become one of their traditions at the time. And so they thought this was a cool trick, a mute demon. Oh, how can we get it out? So even the contemporary rabbis would have looked at this man and would have thought of him as a lost cause. But fortunately, no one is a lost cause to Jesus. (laughs) And he cast it out anyway. (laughs) How beautiful is that? The person that no man could help, Jesus could. And that gives us encouragement. You know, I've had the privilege of seeing some of the most lost people you could have met come to faith in Jesus and have an abiding faith in him. So you, you can never give up hope on anything and anyone. You know, so you can't give up on your financial situation, even if the numbers don't add up. You can't give up on your emotional situation, your family situation, your your loved one that doesn't believe in Jesus yet. We can't give up on them, because Jesus can reach anyone or solve any problem in his timing. So long as we're patient to wait. So we again, the similar, similar point to that last section, do you just keep praying and keep seeking God? Because just like this man, maybe your situation is beyond human expertise, but it's not beyond what Jesus can do for you. you know, Jesus can do all things, and we take comfort in that. And the people beautifully react to this miracle, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Think about what that means. They're talking about Bible times. And they still are saying, we've never seen anything like this before. How cool is that? The the crowds are literally saying that not even the miracles of Elijah and Elisha are worth comparing to Jesus. That's pretty. That's a high praise, and, and it's very significant based off how the Pharisees then respond to them saying this, because the Pharisees don't deny Jesus's worst enemies don't deny him performing miracles, but because they say he casts out demons by the prince of demons, and that's a bigger admission than. Perhaps we realize at first, when your enemies don't even deny the fact that you're doing miracles, it's because they can't. They can't deny it. It's everywhere. There have been witnesses all over the countryside of people who have been touched by Jesus at this point, having similar miracles done to them. They can't just brush it under the rug and say this isn't happening. So they have to come up with a different reason how they are happening And they attribute it to Satan. And we'll unpack a little bit more of why that's a ludicrous idea later on, because Jesus responds to this exact um, accusation in chapter 12. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But when your debate opponent is left making excuses that are this bad, that's when you know you've won the argument. You know, the, the famous atheist uh, Richard Dawkins was once pressed to answer the question that if there is no God, where did life come from? You know, he's avoided that question his whole life, and now he finally had somebody who pinned him to that question a number of years ago. And, because, and it's a great question because scientifically, life does not emerge from non-life. It is a scientific principle that has been proven over and over again. You can give a primordial ooze trillions of years. You will not get life from non-life. So when he's finally pressed to answer this question, on camera, mind you, he admitted to a version of intelligent design because he can't ignore it. Of course, his version included, it, it didn't include God, it included aliens, and he never exactly explained where these aliens came from either said aliens came from space and they put life on earth. Never explained where the aliens came from. But, but that's just the thing. That's, those are the kinds of crazy examples you get when you know you have a losing argument. <laughs> those who say that there is no God don't have the airtight case they pretend to have. So let's just say, based off of (laughs) that last example and what we see here in the text, that it's quite clear there is a God, scientifically speaking. And Jesus is the Son of God, according to these miracles. There's no other plausible explanation. Now, Jesus touched many lives through his healings and through his miracles, and so much so that John concludes his gospel the gospel according to John with with the words saying that if every instance every healing every action of Jesus were to be written down all the books in all the world wouldn't be able to contain all the things that would have to be written about him and it's easy to understand why he would say that in verse 35 where it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I have to stop there for a second. (laughs) So just, just from right there, we see Jesus is not in cahoots with demons like the Pharisees were, were accusing him of. No, he's going all around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the Father to everyone who will give him an ear. So that's a beautiful thing. And when, as he's traveling and as he teaches in these synagogues and as he's drawing these great crowds, it says he had compassion on them. How comforting is it that when Jesus looks upon the crowds, he has compassion on them. When he sees these great groups of people, he's not overwhelmed with anger over their sins. He's not frustrated with their lack of sanctification. But he's moved with compassion for them. I love this. (laughs) The fact that, (laughs) fact is a great word to describe the last two chapters would be compassion, wouldn't it? Because God is not some deistic God that is far off and doesn't know about you and doesn't care about you, like some people believe. Now the scriptures talk about a God who loves you, who has compassion on you and on your family and on your circumstances. And Jesus, throughout these two chapters, has been observing this bro- all the brokenness in the world, having compassion on them, and entering into their situation with His healing touch, not standing at a distance but touching them. I love this. You know, God has many attributes. There's many attributes of God when you study them. And never is one at the expense of another, but there is one character trait of God that encapsulates all of his other character traits, and it's love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. It's what defines him, and it's what motivates him to minister to these great crowds, because they are like sheep lost without a shepherd. For time's sake, we'll have to go into it more next week. But they ought to have had shepherds. There were plenty of people in in Israel that were saying they were the shepherds of Israel, but they deserted their post. But I did have one final thought, and again, we'll come back next week and tie up some of these loose ends. But in verse 37 and 38, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love that. Jesus here doesn't guilt his disciples into serving in this new endeavor that he's setting up and that we later see more of in chapter 10. Instead, he invites them but not even invites them to serve. He invites them to pray, praying that God would raise up people for this next mission that he has. And he he, he doesn't even do it in a leading kind of way. You guys know what I'm talking about. We see this in church culture all the time. Oh, hey, nice to see you. Hey, I want you to pray about joining the Sunday school. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge want you to pray about serving there. <laughs> and yeah, churches can be guilty of that. I certainly have been guilty of that. It's, it's what we do. There are plenty of needs, but, but look, uh, a part of real, that's not wrong either in the right context, though. I mean, a real part of Christian discipleship is having people in your life that can speak truth into you and encourage you to take the next step in the faith, whatever that is for you. And to have a real mentor that can say, hey, you know what? I know where you're at. I really think you should pray about doing this kind of ministry. I think it'll be good for you. And you know, I've been a beneficiary of that. You know, at my last church as a pastoral intern, I remember walking into my pastor's office one day, uh, just an intern at the time, thinking, you know, oh, what, you know, what are my assignments going to be for this week? What, uh, what behind-the-scenes things or administrative things can I take care of? Can I get coffee for the office? What's, what's, uh, what do you need me to do? And he just casually informs me that, oh, yeah, you're going to be the head of the Sunday school now. I was terrified. I was shocked that wasn't on my agenda. That was the last thing I thought I was qualified to do. But it was a tremendous opportunity for me. And my pastor was right. That was such a, it was a tremendous opportunity that changed my life. So that's one example of how, this, of how that does work. We should have people speaking into our lives, guiding us towards what the next thing might be for us. But on the other hand, the big thing we should be doing is praying about what God would have us to do, whatever it might be, or that God would raise up people for whatever job or whatever task we know is coming up or wherever the need we know is. And I'll give you the other example with me. Ten years later, you know, I'm praying about how I can do more pastoral ministry, how I can use some of the other gifts that I have. And suddenly, I get a call out of nowhere, and the next thing I know, I'm back in South Amboy. God had a plan. I, I wasn't asking for this particular job. I wasn't looking for anything like this. I was just praying. And God knew what he was doing. He, his timing was unrealistically perfect. You know, I know that's a similar case for many people. Just as I'm looking around this room, I mean, goodness, Sharon. I mean, you were just praying about how a place where you could use your talents and for the glory of God, wherever they might be at the time. And suddenly we run into each other for the first time in 15 years. And God was in the details after that, brought you back to us for this season. You know, praise be to God for that. And the more I look around this room, the more people I could pick on. <laughs> I will mercifully not do that. <laughs> but, but, that's, but that's the truth. When you just pray and ask God, you know, God, use me wherever you would have me sent. Amazing things could happen. So my final encouragement is simply this. Pray. Pray that God would raise up people here for what God wants to do here the same way that Jesus was asking his disciples in our text today to pray what he for the next mission he had in mind for Israel <laughs> and look we have we have a i have a list the size of a small novel about the number of things we want to do around here <laughs> the, the no, types of people we want to see raised up and the things that we want to do here through this church and to reach this region for Christ. So the emphasis is simply to pray that the Lord would raise up the right people for that. And for clarity, I am not saying at all that you are the person to be the person who says yes and steps up to that task. I'm asking you, as Jesus did, to pray. To pray that God would raise up the right people, whoever they are, to step up. It's about prayer, not action. The uh, great preacher Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what made his church so successful? Why are all of your outreaches such huge successes? Why are so many people coming to Christ? Why this? Why that? And he took the inquirer to a back room, showed them to where a prayer meeting was taking place. said, this is where all the power in this church comes from. This is the engine room to this church, he said. I love that. That is so right, and that's exactly how we need to start thinking about prayer. Prayer is not the last-ditch thing that we do when everything else fails. It's the first thing that we do. So my request is simple. Let's start the engine room in South Amboy. Let's oil up this machine and keep it going. Let us pray and see what God would do. Even as you leave this building today, just take a look around this city as you're driving home. Just take a look up and down Broadway real quick and just try to see this city the same way Jesus would. Try to have the compassion for the crowds that he had then to see this city that is so lost without a shepherd trying to find meaning in all the wrong things. In need of that shepherd. And again, with all sincerity, all, uh, all I'm asking for is prayer for this. A praying congregation is worth infinitely more than a handful of volunteers that say yes. I'd rather us all be praying together. So let's pray and let's see what God will do. Thanks be to God. Amen.